Hey everybody, welcome back to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B. Joining me today is Jacob. Hello. And we're going to be talking about board game components. The good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. Yeah, so we had a chance to play a decent number of board games recently. Surprisingly so. And uh, we got to play some of them even together. Yeah. (laughs) Which happens every once in a while. Right. We sat down recently and played Keeper. Yeah, this was interesting. We had played Key Flower before, but none of the other uh, key key series games, key market, stuff like that. And Keeper was interesting. It's a Euro-style game, lots of worker placement, Keeples, Mm -hmm. they're known as. Place them on boards that are shared in the center of the play area. They're called country boards. And you put your Keeples down, and then eventually you run out you know, sort of normal, but there's a couple of key differences. Difference number one is something called the Keeper, which is a special meeple, and it's in your player color, unlike the rest of the meeples, which are based on their their jobs. So, you Mm -hmm, know, blue mm -hmm. keeples are good at, good as dock workers. Orange meeples are good at working with clay, stuff like that. Uh, But your Keeper is in your player color, and instead of going on a regular tile to perform an action... They go onto a country tile, which allows you to claim that country board. Mm-hmm. And at the end of a season, you will get all of the keeples that are on that board to use next season. So the available actions that you have kind of ebbs and flows over time as you sort of snipe the valuable country boards. You know, you've identified, okay, everybody's putting their keeples on this one. I'm going to claim that as my my board. And then suddenly what we what we found was that as soon as one person claims a board everyone else is like oh crap right that happens yep. and scrambles to claim the next best board yeah um, and and what greg is talking about here is when he sniped the board that had uh the majority of the meeples and during the first turn of the game or the first season of the game and then had a surplus of meeples all the way till winter all the yeah the whole time but my having a surplus of keeples and being able to perform extra actions that way every turn wasn't necessarily a death knell for you guys no because of the other mechanic which is called laying down yeah so what happens there is that once you have used all of your keeples and then you've also claimed your country board you can then start laying down the keeples that are on the different actions to get the benefit of those actions again Mm -hmm. Uh, so you have to start with the ones that are either on your board or your country board And the cool part here actually interacts with the follow mechanic that you have in the game as a whole. So the follow mechanic in general is if you take an action, you then have to ask if the next player wants to join. And then if that person declines, then it goes to the next one and keeps going around. If anyone wants to join, what happens is that they place either a generalist keeple, which is white, or a keeple of the color that you placed onto the spot in order to have more of an effect for both players involved. Mm -hmm. Mutually beneficial. It is mutually beneficial. So at that point, you both get that benefit. The cool part when you are laying down keepals is that when you have already, you know, someone joined another person in uh, using a certain spot, then you can lay down both of them so you can join yourself in those and exactly. then get the benefit of having a joiner without having to share that benefit. Mm-hmm. It's interesting in the way that it, it sort of 
the actions that you can take as you're laying down keeples are in some ways more powerful because that's the only opportunity you have to follow yourself. Mm -hmm. But they are very circumscribed because you can, you obviously can't choose where you want to place them. You can only lay them down strategically on places that they already are. So I think it's a good balance mechanic. Um, I will say I did win that game. And I think Mm -hmm. a big part of the reason that I did was because I had such a commanding lead in terms of the number of keepers and the versatility of actions that I could perform. So I don't know how totally effective it is as a balance mechanic, but I absolutely think it's from a, a good place in terms of intentions and in terms of design. Well, I mean, you did win, but you won by, what is it, three points? Three whole points, yeah. yeah. And that's not even just like a 10-point game. It's out yeah, of like it was, 70 Yeah, I was, I was 79 to your 76 yeah. was our final scores. So, you know, the fact that I ran the table basically on meeples, I had like double the number of meeples that you guys did yeah. for most of the seasons, and you were still within striking distance of me. That's, I mean, it's good game design. Mm-hmm, for sure. And I think the best part about this game is something that we'll talk about a little bit later, but the country boards. Yes. Oh, my gosh. These were so cool. We won't spoil it. Because it it gets into the components aspect, but uh, very, very cool. So speaking of games uh, that we won, I I actually (laughs) ended up winning a game that we played right before this. Uh Mystic Veil, of course, a a perennial favorite. We played it with the Conclave expansion this time. Yep. And it was a lot of fun. I definitely enjoyed it. I didn't feel like I was even close to winning for most of the game. And he showed it. But... (laughs) The salt was flowing. Yeah. But in general, I, I did end up winning. I did, for the first time ever, a high decay strategy. Right. Well, because there were a couple of tier one advancements that showed up very early mm-hmm. that were six extra points. Yes. If you have the most decay in your deck at the end of the game, and Jacob claimed both of them mm-hmm. uh, and was just like, okay, well, I guess I'm doing this now. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. And so I just went full on, like, a lot of decay. And we didn't have a lot of growth at all. No. Like, there was very little growth. So I was just stuck with a lot of decay. And I think what really pushed me over the edge was the veils that I started getting. Yeah. Well, you had the veils, uh, which, you know, gave you a bunch of free symbols and sort of Mm -hmm. snowballed. But also, you know, we we mentioned we're playing with the Conclave expansion, which includes a couple of new variants, mechanics types mm-hmm. of things you could call them the first one of the ones that we played with was called conclave yeah uh, basically introduces cards that tell you take this set of advancements take this set of veils mm-hmm. and put those in the buy pool um and so you pick six conclaves and you pull all of the cards associated with them and that's your your pool which you know to those of you who've heard us talk about this recently was sorely needed yeah um you know mystic veil plus mana storm plus Veil of Magic, plus Veil of the Wild, was just too many cards. Mm-hmm. You know, there was there was too much randomness and not enough consistency in what you were seeing. So Conclaves, very appreciated. But the other mechanic that I think really did you very well and helped you get around some of your decay yeah. was Totems, uh, which is another new mechanic introduced in Conclave. And yours was very effective. They're all categorically very powerful. Yeah. But I think for your particular strategy, yours was very, very important. I think mine really helped me out because what I could do is I could every turn keep one of my cards and put it back on top of my deck to be my on-deck card during the discard step. Uh, I couldn't keep doing it on the same card. I could only do it like once, but it, it, it allowed me to 
keep the cards that I wanted out and almost like, you know, really stack the cards that I really wanted to keep out and not care as much about like, you know, when I'm going to get them back and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. It helped you avoid, you know, because one of the biggest problems in addition to not having lots of cards in your field, one of the biggest problems with a decay heavy strategy is that it takes you that much longer to get through your deck and to cycle back to the cards that you wanted. So to be able to pinpoint the ones that are doing the most work for you Mm -hmm. and put them back on top to get them twice per run through, I think was super important. Plus your magpie. Yeah, exactly. The magpie was the other one that I could just be like, I want these certain cards back in my deck and I'm going to just shuffle that together right now. Right. But Um, overall, I... I liked Conclave. Uh, I liked it a lot. Yeah. There's a couple of mechanics that we didn't play with. There's mm-hmm. uh, Equinox, I yes, think it was Equinox. called, which is sort of a, a day-night cycle type mm-hmm. of thing uh, that seems really interesting. And then um, a couple other just sort of miscellaneous additions. But overall, yeah. great. Uh, I mean, we, we've always been happy with the, the Mystic Veil mm-hmm. expansions. I think they've they've just done a really great job. of moving the game into new and interesting places and with just the size of the conclave box i am looking forward to many many more mystic veil expansions yeah i'm looking at it right now it's like the size of my torso it's like a gloomhaven box almost it's it's i think the same height but it's not as deep i think that's true yeah but it's close it's uh, there's gonna be a lot of mystic veil hopefully yeah yeah so that was a lot of fun I also got to play this weekend a little bit of Eldritch Horror. I heard you guys got your asses kicked. We got our asses whooped really hard. <laughs> it was not good. And we even forgot rules that made it easier for us. And it still destroyed yeah, that's us. Yeah, uh, that's the Dragon's Demise way, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, forget, forget shuttle flights and... All those rules that make things easier for you. Yep. Um, no, no, no. I, me- I meant that we forgot rules that, and we're playing on an easier version of the game. Oh, you forgot rules in a way that, that made, made it, it easier, easier for, for us. Okay, I misunderstood. Yeah. No, like we made it easier for us in the gameplay itself, and we still got our ass. Still got wrecked. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, was, I can't help you. Bad. Yeah. At that point, it was just it, we were just beyond help, and it was also you know the first time we played in a year. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't have Greg with us, our uh, you know rules person. So it was between me and Will, like trying to figure out what the hell was going on and how the hell to do all these different things. It's a big responsibility. Um, it is. It is. We get spoiled with you. So it was. It was fun. It was. It was definitely was enjoyable, but it was a lot, and it took us like two hours to just set it up and realize what the hell we were doing. Yeah, and then after that, like just playing it was just after the first few turns were like, all right, we can do this. We we had like a lot of good rolls, and we destroyed a lot of things, and it was all going well. And then it stopped going well. Yep, <laughs> and just decided to turn down the toilet and just like drown us in misery. That'll happen with Eldritch Horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we pretty much had a monster come out that was just like, hey, within the next three um, uh, reckonings, if you don't take care of this monster, which is a seven-power monster, mm-hmm. it had two for the mental damage, mm-hmm. the horror. But if you didn't succeed on the horror, you could you got paralyzed with fear and couldn't do the physical stuff. Ah. And, you know... We were just trying to kill this, and if if you didn't, if three reckonings passed and you didn't like have clues that you could discard in order to keep this from happening, it was just uh, you lose the game. 
Oh shit. Card. Okay. So it was just like, hey, within three tur- three like times, like you will just lose. Well, damn. Good job. <laughs> we have to take care of this. Oh, and Arkham got flooded from the very beginning by like a, a swarm of monsters. Well, this is gonna be something yep sounds like uh, an eldritch horror game so yeah we got we weren't able to even kill that one it was just the seven toughness was too much and to, to it had two defense so getting over that mm-hmm. um you know of course you have to remember that i'm rolling here at one point <laughs> um so yeah yeah it doesn't work very well just a lot yep well overall though i think we've had a good game playing experience recently oh, yeah, for sure and there you go that's a look at what we've been playing lately Alrighty, well, now let's talk a little bit about the components. It's something that I definitely am very passionate about because, well, I back a lot of Kickstarter, Stone Eye. It's true, he does. And they have a lot of custom stuff, and it's all really, really fun. But it really does contribute a lot to gameplay in in different ways. So I think that we narrowed it down to pretty much like two different types of like components to like talk about Mm -hmm. and we have the components that are nice but you could have different components that wouldn't impact the gameplay with like you can you can play this game without these kinds of components speaking strictly in terms of quality yeah this is just like it's really nice because it adds a good feel or you know adds a bad feel or something like that and so there are those components and then you have the components that the game just couldn't do without right so those are pretty much the two different categories that we'll be talking about today but to begin with i just wanted to mention that we will not be discussing artwork uh artwork is a completely different subject Mm -hmm. and that's one for a different podcast because artwork really does add a lot to a board game or detract a lot from a board game and we've talked about some of this kind of stuff in the past but components i'm talking more about the actual physical feel and the physical objects themselves right rather than what they look like in terms of the artwork and the other things that are printed on them exactly so for the first of these types of components which is just you know design neutral it's strictly about the quality of the components this is this is most of your games yeah and you've got you know, really a, a broad spectrum of, you know, examples of a great game, or at least a game that we think is great, something like Scythe, mm-hmm. that has just masterfully constructed components. You know, yeah. the miniatures for the mechs are absolutely gorgeous. The miniatures for the heroes are really nice as well. You know, they're they're great for immersing you in the feel of the game, but they're not necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, the game could be played pretty much just as well with slightly larger meeples or could be played, you know, any number of other types of components, but having those really high quality components does something, you know, it makes the game feel more integrated. It makes it feel more satisfying, I think really. And it kind of just reinforces those, but also in ways, you know, you've got your power tracker, which is the little wooden token in the shape Mm -hmm, of the, mm -hmm. the shield and crossed spears, which helps you, remember you know it helps you know okay yeah that's right that's what this does and you know it it reinforces game concepts in very subtle ways yeah or not so subtle when you look at the game boards themselves that have like the indents and all that kind of stuff for all the pieces that are just absolutely beautiful fun to use and like makes the game very intuitive 
but it's not necessary. It's the kind of thing that, you know, if this game could have come out without that. It's nice that it came out with it because mostly because of all the Kickstarter money and success that they were able to get. Right. But it's, it enhances the game a lot in terms of feel, but doesn't really change any gameplay elements of it. Right. At the same time, though, you mentioned the boards in particular. Yeah. You look at another game like Terraforming Mars. Yes. That would have absolutely benefited from that type of sort of mm-hmm. raised indent board. You know, you've got your little plastic cubes that are on your tracker, mm-hmm. on your income and, and resource tracker, and they're getting jostled. You know, you knock them as you're going to move your... Uh, you know, your point tracker, you knock the table. And that's not something that you <laughs> really want to have not very precise. Yeah. You know, so having having those solutions like the indented boards, the, you know, extra thick cardboard boards like you have in Scythe, I think would have gone a long way towards just making, you know, people use the term quality of life a lot. Yeah. I, you know, quality of play. Just mm-hmm. the feel of the game overall would be a lot better with those boards for terraforming mars i think for sure yeah and it's one of those that it's like it's a really good game but i even see some posts online of, of people who are like yeah it's a good game but i'm not gonna buy it because the components are shit exactly so like it's got some problems with like you know the printing not being cut correctly the uh metallic cubes all being like very easy to rub mm-hmm. off so you you luckily have still the different sizes but they wear off really quickly and it's just it's not a very well made game for a very good game just like heat for example right and you know heat is a game that we've talked about before designed by dave chalker who we love you know great mechanics yeah really interesting game but the components you know cards are fine it's really hard to mess up cards unless mm-hmm. they're printed on actual paper but you know you've got these like bingo chits yeah that are used to track your money that are just not good it's not even that they're not satisfying it's not even that they're not you know cool or they're just poor quality yeah and that really detracts from the game i I think it does you know i i would recommend the game to people but if somebody came back at me and said like no i'm not interested after playing with it i probably wouldn't fault them for that yeah and that feels bad to say yeah because it is a really good game but sometimes it's just these kind of quality uh, component pieces are Really important for games. Right. This whole conversation highlights a particular aspect, which I think is looking at components that are Mm well-designed, you know, so they they fill the niche that they need to do. They perform the job that they need to do. They're they're distinct, and they get the job done effectively and efficiently versus Mm well-crafted. And, you, you know, balancing those two almost not necessarily competing, but oftentimes competing priorities is difficult. Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, the ideas behind the components in Terraforming Mars, for the most part, like make sense. Like, you've got the two-sided hexes that uh, one side is a city, the other is a forest, so mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense. You have the cubes, which are different sizes and different colors in order to note like the amounts, which is very intuitive, and they are properly designed, but the execution there is lacking. Exactly. And like even even the boards themselves, like. Had they had that additional execution added to them, the basic layout of the boards makes a lot of sense. Like you have the different spaces that you're supposed to put everything in. Mm-hmm. Like the trackers go; they're you know shaped in the, the cubes and everything like that. And so it, it's the kind of thing where 
the design was there, the execution was not. Right. And I think another example of this is a game like Shipyard, or you know, yeah. uh, a lot of Euro games have just a plethora of components. They've got yeah. so many components that oftentimes it's hard to differentiate. You know, And I think Shipyard is a perfect example of this. You've got dozens, hundreds mm-hmm. of fiddly little components that are, are little cardboard rectangles. They're all little cardboard rectangles, and they're all basically the same color. And, you know, from... A design standpoint, each of them does what it needs to do. Each of the art is distinct, if you can sort of sort them out and take the time to look at them. But yeah. but from sort of being able to play the game rapidly, being able to, to look at a thing at a glance and have instant information, that's really lacking because everything is so uniform. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, detrimental to pace of play. Exactly, exactly. And of course, you know, each board game has a feel that they're going for. And one of the game types of games that we're not really going to touch too much on, but I want to mention is miniatures games. And so miniatures games, that's that's a little bit of a different story. Miniatures games, for the most part, you could play with cardboard discs of those types and have that just be the game, gameplay. But that's not the point of the game. Nope. The point of the game is that you have these miniatures coming at you in a really cool 3D fashion and that you can play around, paint them, and have fun. And just, it is the point of miniature gaming in a lot of ways. Right. When you're, when you're buying a miniatures game, you know that half of why you're buying it is for the miniatures. Exactly. As much as for the game. I mean, like, I think that probably about... 85% of the cost is of the miniatures. Oh, almost certainly. When, whenever you buy those. So that's just, you, you get what you're, you're going for. That all being said, there are some games that try to cram that kind of stuff in and they get become overproduced. Yeah. And one of those is actually in the name of Odin. And it's a game that I really enjoy the mechanics of. But Greg brought this up last time when we played, and I completely agree that it has these these miniatures of the different red, blue, and black figures that are the different clans or professions within the Viking world that you need to go on raids. And A, they're not very well done. No. They are very flimsy. Like All of them are like bending all over the place. They're not standing up correctly. Drunken Vikings. You yeah, know. they're drunken Vikings. And the thing is that these would be actually better served as cardboard chits or, you know, just wooden tokens of some sort. Because they would be easier to, you know, organize. They would be easier to, like, just remember to look to take these kinds of things. And it would fit with the game because the game itself is very well done. Everything else design-wise is done really well. Um, The other components, everything else, the cards, really good. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and a lot of the game too is very stylized. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's very abstract representations of you know the different colors, the different actions. Many of the symbols throughout mm-hmm. the game are are sort of removed, and then to have these miniatures that you could tell they were going for a sort of a more naturalistic style, but didn't quite get there. It just feels incongruous. Plus, they take up a lot of space. Yeah. They, they literally there is not enough space on either the communal board or the player board yeah. for the maximum amount of these things that you're allowed to have at one time. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's very baffling to think about why people would try to force it like that. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like a lot of that gets at what consumers want. Yeah. 
It's, it's the craze of miniatures and all that. Add them to every game. Yeah. But some, sometimes you just don't want them. Like We also played another game, Ignoble, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. had some... Like, the components are nice. Like, you know, the, everything is very nicely done. Cardstock is nice for the cards. But that should have been produced as a 10 to $15 game that had regular cards of regular sizes and cubes instead of the glass beads. Yeah. Overall, I mean, I, again gorgeous absolutely mm-hmm. but just overproduced yeah it, it's not even just that that just detracts from the game uh, in my point of view like there there's a game rising five that we talked about uh, before that i think is a bit overproduced i think that in general the game itself has really nice artwork for sure i don't fault it there at all but the number of like different spaces that you need and that kind of stuff on the board, like literally I think one quarter of the board is just artwork for the starting spaces of the characters Mm. that they are only on at the very beginning. You cannot move back to them. Sure. There is like no point in that. And it's just, it's overproduced there. They tried to do a little bit too much with it. And it, it just frustrates me a little bit when it's like that because it does detract a little bit from the game, especially like when it could be cleaned up, it could be done in a way that would feel just as good and feel appropriate to the game right. rather than inappropriate as they do now. Well, and especially, and you mentioned this a little bit with Ignoble, but especially when it's something that from our perspective as players mm-hmm. seems like it pushes the game into a higher price point yes you know i yes. think this is this is as good a time as any to mention you know we don't have any experience with publishing no so we don't know what exactly factors go into that but you know we know what an expensive component looks like mm-hmm. you know we know something that's going to cost a lot compared to a little cardboard token and so when you see these sorts of expenses that come across to the player as unnecessary you know, it really just makes you think about, well, you know, maybe this game didn't have to be 60 bucks. Yeah, exactly. This was a $20 game I paid $60 for because of the components. Right. Yeah. But so that's sort of thinking about games that have components that don't necessarily, I mean, I'm not going to say that they don't matter, but aren't essential. You know, the design of the components and the construction of the components are unrelated. On the other hand, you have games where the design of the components themselves Mm-hmm. is actually part of the game. Yeah. So, and in these cases, we're talking about a game like Mystic Veil. You know, you've got these these 150% height cards, roughly, yeah. I think they feel mm-hmm. like, with these these transparent plastic inserts that go over top of one another. And that is absolutely essential to the functioning of the game. You know, that is the card crafting system that's at the backbone of the game. And without that, it's, it's not even remotely the same game yeah no like it wouldn't work without that or not in any kind of easy way right so you know you've got these components that are unique in a lot of cases um but certainly essential to the functioning of the game as it exists in its current state so you Mm -hmm. know another example of this is something like number nine which we've mentioned before where you've got different tiles of Mm -hmm numbers that are represented in very precise geometric shapes and without that you know you don't have the stacking mechanic you don't have you know sort of the puzzle element of how they fit together and how those components are designed is an essential part of how that game functions yeah exactly and 
these I think are the ones that make, you know are integral. Like if you're going to have a component that is custom and like will make your game and you need in order to for your game to work, it has to be done well. Yeah. Like without that, you're you're just you know fish out of water kind of thing. You're screwed <laughs> to say to say the least. So like number nine, for example, if you didn't have those cardboard pieces like done correctly and like in that way with the, you know, things cut in in a certain way that will actually fit together with all the other pieces, uh, the widths, all of that standardized and all that, the game wouldn't work. Yeah, like it, it just literally could not function. And I think that people realize that. And I think that a lot of designers realize that. Yeah. And make those components the ones that they focus the most on. Because the ones that we will talk about, like we've got uh, Mystic Veil. It's done really, really well. Mm -hmm. The card crafting system is done well. They have the protective coating on the card that will come off at, after a while. But that they even tell you to like keep on until like it comes off so that you protect the cards as much as possible. And then you have in number nine, just the design of those shapes and how they fit together. You've got Zaya in general. The shipboards and all that are pretty well done, though there is a little bit of an issue with execution on that one. Right. Which is, it's something that we you do see decently often, that it happens. But, you know, these are all things that, that pretty much are necessary for the games to function. Right. And a lot of times, you know, it doesn't even have to be as flashy as, you know, a, a really fancy, super tall, transparent plastic card. You know, I'm thinking about anything from Bang the Dice Game to Thieves Market to Election Night with those non-ordinal dice. Mm -hmm. Anything that has custom dice, putting a little extra spin on it, you know, replacing the one with a, a unique symbol mm -hmm. or something like that. It just adds that little something Mm -hmm. that I think people appreciate. You know, you've got these custom dice and you're going to own that. Yeah. And speaking of like custom dice and that kind of stuff, I think that we talked about this before, but custom dice, we would like to see more of them in games mm -hmm. in terms of just altering probabilities. Yes. Because in terms of game design, this is a little bit off topic. Uh, <laughs> we really like that aspect of just having slightly different probabilities than just an equal probability of all numbers. Right. But it's these kinds of things that really can make a game or break it for that matter. Right. Definitely, you know, if you're designing a game that has a unique component at its core, it's got to be memorable mm -hmm. and it's got to be well designed. Yeah. Perfect example. We mentioned at the top of the episode, Keeper. Yes. Brand new game that we just played. The country boards in mm -hmm. the center. These are actually modular. So they're four by four mm -hmm. boards. But they're not just a single sheet of cardboard. They are like three or four layered things of card. I don't even know. I It's magic. That's what it, it is. is. It it's is. just magic. You can fold them and to get like 16 different possible configurations. Yeah. And this is, this is vital to how the game works because in each of the configurations, you have to be displaying a particular square that has a particular season showing. Yeah. And the configurations that are achievable for a given season mm -hmm. have different balances you know so in spring it's heavily weighted towards you know farming and, and production and stuff like that but then you get on towards summer and fall and you find that the only legal configurations are weighted much more towards mining and a lot of the late game resources and these you know these really unique really well designed i'm sure they play tested the shit out of them oh god yeah modular boards 
really make the game. I think they're they're an absolutely unique component, and they're also very well constructed. Exactly, exactly, and and it's that kind of thing. It was really hilarious when we when we opened up the game, and then at one point, I think you, Greg, had like picked it up, and you were just like, I was just, I was just fiddling with it. I yeah. fiddle, you know. I'm a, I'm an anxious person, and I I bent it, and it popped, and I was like, oh no. And then I saw there was a perforated thing, and there was stuff printed on the other side. I was like, what the hell? Because yeah. I hadn't gotten to that part in the rules yet. And mm-hmm. I was just like, what is going on? It was mind-blowing yeah. in a good way. Yeah. And then we fiddled it with it more, and it just turned out to be like one of those, what are they, like, uh, fortune teller kind of things. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, just like opening in all these different ways, and you're just like, wait, how did that open? How did, that, how did I get that combination? Classic. Oh, God. <laughs> so it's those kinds of things that like really leave a lasting impression Mm -hmm. for sure and if they're well done that impression's good right yeah if they're not then not so much yeah and i think overall with this particular discussion what we really just want to drive home is this idea that components are very subtle yes you know every game needs components no matter how simple whether it's Mm -hmm. just a deck of cards whether it's just a pair of dice but people are going to notice when those components are good And they're going to notice when those components are bad. And your game can be the most spectacularly designed. It can be a flawless game. But if the components aren't up to snuff, some people still aren't going to like it. Yeah, exactly. And it's people that, you know, might like the game in any other context. But, you know, when you have components that just don't fit the game, it, it really makes it difficult for... For the players in general. And in general, that's my thought of who the games are for. And, you know, you can make your game as good as you want it in terms of the rules and all the back end and all that kind of stuff. But if it doesn't feel good to play, people aren't going to play it. Exactly. And I think as we close out, you know, we talk about the games that people want to play. People are going to be different. People are going to want to play different types of games. And everybody's going to have a different threshold Mm -hmm. for what they care about which is why i think it's really interesting and in a lot of ways positive to see this development of sort of premium token sets yeah so you know you have the premium tokens for scythe yes and they're really great you know sculpted plastic and little Mm -hmm. metal ingots yeah which is incredible metal coins those sorts of things you've got a lot of premium tokens for a lot of red raven games yep you know shaped wooden tokens instead of just generic tokens but not everybody's going to want those. You know, some people are going to be perfectly happy with the, you know, just generic wooden tokens or, or simple printed cardboard. And I think offering premium tokens, whether it's as a Kickstarter exclusive or in conjunction with a third-party retailer, I think that's a fantastic idea because it gives people control over the game that they play. Yeah. If somebody wants something that's a little bit more produced, if they're willing to spend that extra money, that's fantastic. If somebody doesn't or can't, if they just want the bare-bones game, perfect let them go for that yeah exactly i i definitely am a sucker always for like you know the kickstarters and the extra components and making the game like feel even better but i can totally understand why you know some people would choose for like the base game only yeah you know especially if you're if you have to pay extra for all these other things Mm -hmm. if you just want to play the game you can play them without all these like specialized components absolutely and so it's nice to have that option because, you know, now I have a very tricked out Terraforming Mars game uh, because I have a really nice insert for it and that kind of stuff. And those are really cool, but 
again, this is all how much you want to put into it. And I think that having that option is great. And I, I love that uh, there are third-party retailers that are picking up a lot of that slack. That they're, they're creating all these add-ons and other things and like all these assets that you can get online that help you get the most of your game. But if you're getting the most of your game with just the base and you know you never wanted to touch the the different components for terraforming mars even though you've played it enough times that you've rubbed off all the paint on all the cubes <laughs> like you know good for you and you know as long as you're enjoying the game that's that's what it's there for absolutely thank you all for joining us for this episode of dragons and mines we hope that you enjoyed it be sure to check out washington.com for tickets Washington tickets are on sale now. It's going to be September 8th and 9th. So we really hope to see you there. There's going to be a lot of really cool people, a lot of really cool panels. Uh, it's just going to be a lot of fun all around. And I really hope to see a lot of you guys there. If you are interested in volunteering, you actually get to go to the convention for free. So What? Free stuff? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, so definitely sign up for that at Washington.com. And uh, we will get back to you on that as well. Otherwise, check out our YouTube and Twitch channels. We stream there every week. We have some Gloomhaven going on. We've got some other ongoing games, Seafall and the like, that uh, you can watch live or tune in afterwards and just watch the videos, which is also really cool. Correct us on all of our many, many mistakes, which uh, we do during games. So many mistakes. So we really appreciate that as well. And otherwise, be sure to join us for a very special episode that's going to be coming out in the middle of this week because of Gen Con. So we will be reviewing Durr, so we hope that you enjoy that. Also, be sure to tune in next week when we talk about Space Base. Space Base.